back, everyone, to the Practicology Podcast. This is episode 122, Reading the Bible Imaginatively. And we've talked about how to read the Bible a number of times on the podcast in episode 92, uh, how to read the Bible when we find it culturally embarrassing. Then Nathan Pratt helped us with a good one on basic Bible hermeneutics on episode 93. Recently, Matthew, you talked to us about how to cultivate a desire to read our Bibles in episode 117. And on this episode, I want to talk a little bit about the role of our imagination in Bible reading. Do you find the Bible boring? Do you struggle sometimes to get anything out of it? Well, probably all of us find ourselves in that place, just some more than others. And if we do, if we do really struggle to get anything out of the Bible, perhaps you've neglected to use your God-given imagination. Some Christians have confessed to me that they, they do find reading the Bible boring and dry, but when they watch The Chosen, it's a whole different story. The gospel stories come alive for them, and it seems to them that, that watching The Chosen is their only way of interacting with the Bible in a powerful way. Matthew, do you have any thoughts you want to share on The Chosen? Do, do you watch it? Is it helpful? Wow, I hope you're not getting me in trouble here, Mike. But uh, yeah, I have watched it. Our family has watched it. Do I find it helpful? That's a good question. Um, it has challenged some preconceptions I had as to what the scenes look like in the Lord Jesus' life. So in that sense, it's been good. It has informed me in some ways. Um, in other ways, of course, we have to caution our children that um, they've taken some artistic license and it's the scriptures that are our guide as to what really happened, not the chosen. And I feel like in the later episodes, they did depart from scripture a little bit more. But it, I mean, they do a good job of telling a story. It's certainly interesting and enjoyable. All right. Well, thanks for sharing us uh, your, your just thoughts off the top of your head on this. And, and actually, your comment provides a really good balance, um, Matthew, as we, as we talk about the role of imagination in our Bible reading. And maybe we'll come back to a, a thing or two you just said there. But what I'm really interested in encountering in, in this episode is maybe a, a thought that forms within us that um, if I watch something like The Chosen, the Bible can be very dynamic and, and alive. You know, the, the event that the Bible records can take on new life for me. And, and that's true, but what I want to fight against is that that can only happen if we engage a Bible story through art or through movie. And I want to suggest that actually when we use our imagination properly in the way we read the Bible, we're going to start to have times with the Lord and His Word that are just as moving and maybe even more moving than in powerful works of art. But I suspect, Mike, that we have some natural suspicion, some of us do, about the role of our imagination. I mean, we might say to a friend at times, well, that's just your imagination, that's speculation. And especially when it comes to using our imagination in Bible study, then we could get nervous uh, because there's always the danger of inserting our own thoughts into God's Word and distorting it, right? Yeah, that's true, and that concern is well-founded, and I, I think that came out a little bit in your cautions to your children about them watching The Chosen, um, that possibly there's some artistic license here that's actually inserting stuff into the biblical account that wasn't there. But I want to push back and say, still, there is a vital role for the imagination in our Bible reading. And so maybe the first thing I need to do is just step back and defend our faculty of imagination more broadly. In other words, before we talk about using our imagination for Bible reading, let's just think about how important it is 
for the rest of life, just ordinary life. My sister-in-law was telling me recently about a man who cannot picture anything in his head. He doesn't have a mind's eye. And apparently there's a term for this. I think it's quite a recent term. Um, it's called aphantasia, if that's how you pronounce it. Most of us can close our eyes and picture things. We can picture a lake or a cat, for example. But people with aphantasia, they can't do that. They have no power of imagination. They can't hear a song unless it's being played right there and then. They can't taste food unless they're eating it at that moment. They can't visualize a beautiful lake unless they're actually there. So maybe the rest of us don't appreciate our faculty of imagination because we've never thought about what it would like to, to, to be without it. And the amazing thing is that we can think about what it would be like because we do have an imagination. Yeah, that's right. We can use our imagination to imagine what it would be like not to have an imagination. <laughs> it, uh, it just shows that our imagination even helps us to empathize with people. We, we can try to imagine what it's like to be in their shoes and, and empathize with them. So uh, Rankin Wilborn, he gives a little defense of how important our imagination is in his wonderful book on union with Christ. And he says, imagination is that distinctly human capacity by which we image anything and everything that is not immediately visible to our eyes. So he gives this example, you know, did you lose your keys? Well, where did you last put them? What color are your mom's eyes? In order to answer those questions, we actually use our imagination. So imagination is very important to just living in our daily lives, but Wilborn points out that imagination is crucial to the enterprise of science as well. You say, come on, if there's one place where imagination should stay out of, it's in the realm of science. But that's not true. You, you can't do science without an imagination. We use it to try and grasp the concept of gravity. We, we use it to theorize about subatomic particles and black holes and all these things I don't understand. In fact, Einstein apparently said that imagination is more important than knowledge. And I think he was a pretty brilliant scientist, so we should uh, maybe take him at his word for that. Okay, so sure you say imagination is useful in daily life and things like science, but it's got no place as far as knowing God and reading his word. Well, are you sure? Wilborn again comes back and, and shows that from the beginning of the Bible to the end, the Bible calls us to use our imagination. Uh, for example, in Exodus 13 verse 8, Israelites living hundreds of years after the Exodus has already taken place are to say, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Well, were those Israelites alive when the Exodus happened? No, of course not. But they're expected to put themselves into the story and understand these events as if they happened personally to them. And that requires our use of imagination. Yeah, and you've shared with me that he gives some New Testament examples too. Colossians 3, set your minds on things that are above. That doesn't mean buy a telescope and look at Jupiter. It means to set our minds on Christ in heaven and see something that our physical eyes can't actually perceive. Also, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says to fix our eyes on what is unseen. That seems like a paradox to us. How can you set your eyes on something that's unseen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, only with our mind's eye. And even the recurring command to, to remember, remembering something, calling it to mind, often requires our imagination. And just as we saw with that story of the guy who has, has no mind's eye. And we could point to many more scriptures that teach or imply the need to use our imagination. 
uh, just read the book of Revelation, for example. I mean, how could you read that book and really feel its impact and grasp its message unless you had a capacity to picture the many images it describes there? Maybe the simplest way, and with this I'll, I'll stop trying to defend uh, our imagination, but maybe the simplest way to defend the goodness of our faculty of imagination is to go right back to creation. What does God say about our imagination? Well, at creation, he says, after he had created man and woman in his image, he says that it is very good. So yes, all our created faculties are tainted by sin as a result of the fall, but there is something of the original goodness of creation that remains. Our imaginations, uh, though tainted by sin, they are in their original creation good. All right, so you have labored to make your case and you've made it well that imagination is important to use even in reading scripture. Now help us, what does this look like? How does this actually help us in reading God's word? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this takes us to the heart of this episode. And what I want to do is demonstrate what it looks like to read the Bible imaginatively. So let's try it out in John chapter 1, and I'm deliberately picking a passage that's not exactly fast-moving or anything. You know, no one gets rescued from a lion's mouth or anything like that. In fact, verse 35 of John 1 <clears throat> opens with John the Baptist, and all he's doing is standing. He's, he's standing with two of his disciples. And he sees Jesus walking by, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And at this, the two men who were standing with John and who were John's disciples, they start to follow Jesus. Do you, do you hear that? Two followers of John begin to follow Jesus. And that's John's job. It's to point people to Jesus so that they'll follow him. So we picture this, right? We use our mind's eye. We picture here's Jesus walking and now there are two men walking behind him and following him. And verse 38 tells us that after a while, Jesus turned and saw them following him. And he speaks to them. He says, what are you seeking? That's a way of asking, you know, what are you looking for? Why are you following me? What, what do you want? And they answer, Rabbi, where are you staying? That's a really interesting answer if you think about it. Matthew, what, what do you think they want? What are they looking for? Well, it sounds like they want to be with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Jim Hamilton points out that the word for staying you know, when they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? That word is, is the word that the Lord Jesus will use later in the gospel when he tells his followers to abide or stay in him and that he will abide and stay in them. So these two men, they want to know Jesus's address. So if I were to use my imagination here a little bit, Mike, uh, we remember from earlier in John 1 that Jesus is none other than the Lamb of God, the only begotten Son of God, the Word manifest in flesh. Verse 1, He is God Himself. So then we start thinking, what would normally happen in our world if two nobodies asked a very important person for their address? Hey, where are you staying? Well, I know how I would respond if I was a very important person. I would just blow them off. I'd say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm staying on the other side of town. Have a great day, you guys. See you later. I learned a little while ago that when we go to new places or meet new people, we're always scanning for something. Our eyes are constantly scanning for this, for am I wanted here? Am I loved here? Am I accepted here? Am I accepted by this person? I remember the first time meeting a good friend of mine and Matthew's now, uh, but at the time I, I'd never met him before. Uh, Stephen Vance at a conference and 
just remember being in a hallway full, crammed full of people. It's a big conference, and he turned around and spotted me. And I, as I look back, I, I realize, yeah, I was scanning, right? What will this uh, speaker think of me? I'm just a little nobody here, a skinny little nobody. And what will he think of me? And, and I could tell from the very first moment um, that he was eager to meet me. He cared about me. He wanted to shake hands, find out who I was, and had a real genuine interest that didn't seem faked or forced or contrived, but just flowed naturally out of his heart. And the more I've gotten to know him, uh, the more I know that that's just what Stephen Vance is like. He's, he's very Christ-like in that way. And actually, as I look back on that, it was a fairly life-transforming moment for me. It was a big deal for me that someone like Stephen would show that grace and interest in me. And, well, here's two nobodies, right? Back to our John 1 Bible story. Here's two nobodies. And they're asking the most important person in the world where he's staying. And guess what he says? He doesn't blow them off. He says, come and see. Come and see. Isn't this awesome? I mean, even if he'd said, I'm staying at 56 Fish Street, you know, uh, you should come for a visit sometime. That would be amazing. But for him to say, why don't you come and see? Come join me. This, this is awesome. And the men go to his place, verse 39. And John writes that they stay with him the whole day. They abide with him for the rest of the day. So listen, when, when nobodies look into the eyes of their creator, the eternal God himself, and scan for, am I loved here? Am I welcome here? Am I desired and wanted by this person? They see Jesus smile and say, come back and follow me to where I'm staying. And why don't you spend the day with me? Mm, that's a beautiful aspect of our Savior. Again, I think about my own heart and, you know, we love to have people over and to stay with us. But I think if we're all honest, there does come a point where we're thinking, okay, uh, now it's time for, for our company to leave. It's getting late. I'm getting tired and I've got lots to do the next day. But the heart of Christ is that his guests would stay longer with him. I know. Uh, the sense we get from this passage is that if we were staying with the Lord and we finally got up and said, well, <clears throat> I better be going now. I really need to get back to my house now. We get the sense that our Lord would genuinely say, do you have to go? Do you really have to go? Because what I really want is for you to stay. And he does, as you've already mentioned later in this gospel, Jesus will teach his disciples to stay in him, to live in him. He tells them about his father's house and how he's going to prepare a place for them. Why? Because the desire of the most important person in the universe is that you and I would stay with him and live with him for all eternity. Yeah, and part of his going away to prepare a place was his going to the cross to die for them. Look, how much does Jesus desire our company? He died to make it possible. And back to John 1, the eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is, he tabernacled among us. He was willing to live in a tent so that we could join him in his palace temple. So, so look, the whole point is just to demonstrate a little of what it looks like to use our God-given imaginations when we read the Bible. It's a simple little story in the gospel where two men follow another and the man in front turns around and asks them what they're looking for. And it's so easy to just breeze by this story in search of something more meaningful or something that will be exciting or really speak to my needs for the day. But if we just slow down and imagine what the Bible is recording here, imagine it. It can be incredibly moving. We can know that Jesus' response to us is the same. We're, we're scanning to see if he'll welcome us. What will he say to us? 
will he want us to be with him and his eyes brighten and he welcomes us to be with him and he is in no hurry at all for us to leave. The great Messiah has all the time of the world to, 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 to make available to us. Mm, I like that, Mike. That's helpful. And the important thing I think we should point out about this exercise is that we didn't have to insert anything or add anything to spice it up. We just worked with the details of the text itself. So when you talk about using our imagination, it's not so that we'll picture things that aren't in the Bible to try and make it more exciting. The Bible is exciting. The job of our imagination is to help us grasp and appreciate the wonder of what is already there in the text. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't use your imagination to twist or supplement the Bible. Use it to grasp the glories and wonders that are in the Bible. And you might just find that stories of the Gospels are even more moving to you as you meditate on them than even when they're portrayed for you really well in The Chosen. So if listeners want to practice this a little bit more, Mike, or if they want to learn more about reading the Bible imaginatively, do you have anything you can point them to to help them? Yeah, one place you could go is to uh, Living by the Book, uh, which is a book by Howard Hendricks and William Hendricks. And he has a whole chapter on reading the Bible imaginatively. Uh, He's got some useful tips there, things like try reading in a different translation or in a paraphrase. Uh, Make your own paraphrase can really help sometimes. Um, Listen to the passage be read out loud, either by a living person beside you, ask them to do it, or, or listen to an audio Bible. And another thing is just to change up your setting, you know, try to head out into the treehouse outside and, and read there or, or find a, a park setting or out by the lake, read a, a lake story by the lake or something like that. that. That can help us. But, you know, the main encouragement I would give is just to be patient. Read the Bible passage you're in and stay there. Chew on it. Think upon it. Travel there in your mind. Look around. Take a sniff. Uh, really immerse yourself in the story. Even if it's a story that's very fairly slow paced like the one we just took up. And, and as you do, as you really enter into it, it will start to come alive for you. Yeah, this is good, Mike. Uh, I read Daniel chapter 1 today, and I was imagining a little bit what it was like when Daniel asked if they could only eat vegetables and what they look like later, because it says they look like they look better than those who were eating the king's diet. But I think I want to go and reread that chapter again and try and immerse myself in it a little bit more in light of what you've been saying today. Well, I hope that, yeah, this episode would just inspire us all to do that a little bit more. I was reading, I think, Psalm 113 this morning, and it it talks about how the Lord is way up above the heavens and he looks far down upon the heavens and the earth. And so I was imagining that, right? What's it like to be that high where you really have to squint to even see the heavens, never mind the earth beneath the heavens. So, um, yeah, that's what we want to do. And and lest people get the impression that I've really come hard down on the chosen this episode, let me just say a thing or two about that. I, I actually haven't watched a full episode. I, I, I want to, but I just haven't uh, gotten there yet. I've heard many people say that they, they've enjoyed it. Well, all I'll say is that things like this, I think they can be helpful uh, in, in helping us to read the Bible in the sense that they, they teach us to learn to read the Bible in full color, right? We, we get a sense for um, how gracious Christ was to, say, a sinful woman or something. And, and now we come back to the Bible um, and we say, hey, I want to read this again. Not to add, you know, human-made details into the text, but, 
but I, I've gotten a feel now for, for what that would look like in real life. And I, I want to read again and really imagine, really uh, live out before my mind's eye um, these, these glorious events that Jesus did when he was on earth. Well, thanks for not being too hard on me for having watched it. And we'll look forward to hearing your opinion more after you have watched it some. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in again today. May the scriptures be a blessing to you.